Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorted us to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you consistently being filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Being filled with the Holy Spirit will do immensely more for us than alcohol ever could. Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 5 and learn how we can more and more be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him. It's the meaning of our lives, right? Is growing in deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, today, Lord willing, we're gonna finish Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna do verses 17 through 33 is the plan. Um, we've been going through this book of, uh, of Ephesians and it's just, it's just an incredible book. Obviously the whole Bible is the, is the living word of God. Um, the apostle Paul here in, uh, in chapter five is just, is, is giving us clear instructions on how we're to live our lives in light of all that Christ has done for us, um, in light of all that's been done on our behalf in light of all that's been accomplished by our heavenly father in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, how we're to live, how we're to live in step with the Holy spirit. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, today we're going to do verses uh, 17, Lord willing to verse uh, 33. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible. We thank you for this, book of Ephesians, Father. We just, we thank you, Father, that we have this Bible, but above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life for us and dying a, a torturous death for us, Lord. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Um, all right. Just, just, just good stuff. Strong instructions here about, uh, about husbands and wives. Um, and, uh, you know, and just again, how we're supposed to live our life as Christians, those who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So, Verse 17, Paul says, therefore, and again, he's saying, in light of everything I've just said, making the most of every opportunity, verse 16, um, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as unwise. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Um, so it, it's plain here, uh, right, Billy? It's plain that to not understand what the Lord's will is, is to be foolish. Um, uh, you know, I, I confess that, uh, you know, there are times in my life where we're still, you know, I, I don't know what the will of the Lord is in a certain situation. And, and because I have not pursued finding out the will of the Lord, you know, I, I can make foolish mistakes. I can be a fool. Um, but, just to understand what the scripture is saying here. Therefore, do not be foolish. How do you do that? But understand what the Lord's will is. And when he says Lord here, he's talking about Jesus. H how do you understand what the will of Jesus is? How do we grow, Jason, to understand the will of Jesus? All right. Um, we open every teaching, right? Talking about, are you growing to know Jesus? Are you growing to love him? Are you growing to walk with him? Are you growing to obey him? The reason we grow in that relationship is ultimately so that we will not be foolish and understand what his will is for us in our moment by moment, day by day lives. And the primary way we do that is by spending time in our Bible, spending time in the scriptures. The reason we do these teachings, right? The reason we do these YouTube videos and podcasts is so that, that you will better understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? Um, the more time you spend in your Bible, the more time you spend reading and studying and meditating and memorizing your Bible, above all, the, most, the more time you spend obeying your Bible and repenting, you know, when you make mistakes, the more you will understand the will of the Lord. We want to pray. We want to consistently be inviting Jesus into our day-to-day -day circumstances. We want, to, we want to talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with Jesus in, a, in an intentional and meaningful way and get their help, get their counsel in understanding the will of the Lord in just you know, all the various aspects of our lives. You know, uh, Jesus has a will, has a desire 
for your life in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally, you want to know and grow to know what his will is in your life and to not know his will at any place that we don't know his will and don't walk in his will, the scripture simply says it's foolish. Okay. Um, And so therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. So the will of the Lord is not to be drunk on wine or on any alcohol. Okay. Um, the scripture doesn't, doesn't outlaw drinking alcohol, um, you know, to have a glass of wine, to have a beer, um, to have a mixed drink. I mean, that's, there's nothing biblically that's wrong with that. Now to have it in excess is wrong. Okay. To have it to where you're intoxicated is wrong and it is sinful. Okay. It's foolish, right? Um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It just, you know, when, when, when you're drunk, it just leads to all kinds of foolishness, right? Foolishness in what we think, foolishness in what we say, and foolishness in what we do. We're impaired, right? Um, it's interesting. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So, so the vast majority of us um, have had a, you know, have, have have had an alcoholic beverage. There are, I think, a couple of people who listen to these podcasts, or maybe a few, maybe more than I know, that have never had an alcoholic beverage in their life. Right, Scott, Jason. I mean, there's just there's there's actually several of you um, who, who've never had alcohol, and that's that's a that's a good thing. It really is. It's a wonderful thing. It's an admirable thing. Uh, you're better off, okay? Um, to, to never drink alcohol is better off than to drink, okay? Um, now, again, there's nothing sinful about about having, you know, uh, an alcoholic beverage. Um, but when when you when you get an alcoholic beverage, it, it kind of it gives you a, a feeling of, of, of sometimes relaxation, right? I do enjoy having a, uh, uh, you know, a drink, right? Um, and, it, you know, it kind of relaxes you. It kind of helps you chill out. Um, you know, and it's just a, uh, you know, I don't know. It can be just a, uh, you know, just, just an enjoyable, you know, experience, right? Now, again, I'm not talking about an excess. Obviously, that's wrong, right? Um, but those of us who have had alcohol in our lives, we, we can recognize how it just, uh, you know, sometimes it can, you know, it can allow us just to, uh, to chill out or again, just to, just to, you know, kind of calm down or, um, you know, just to relax a little bit. And so that's what it does for us physically, right? Um, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. So, Again, obviously, uh, to be drunk is sinful and leads to all kinds of sin. Okay, that speaks for itself. But what we get from alcohol, as I said, that feeling of relaxation, that feeling of just kind of just chilling out and, and having a glass of wine or a beer or a, you know or a mixed drink or, or whatever it is, um, you know the 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 spiritual comparison of that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And check that out. That's something we were talking about yesterday in Bible study. And whatever you look, whatever I look to get from alcohol, right? That enjoyment, that peace, that chill, that relaxation, that comfort. All of that is available to us 
in the filling of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so again, when I look to get that kind of enjoyment from alcohol, this is again, Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. As believers, we want to have a lifestyle, okay? In, in order for us to effectively live the Christian life, we need to be consistently being filled with the Holy Spirit, right, Rap? Um, do you have a lifestyle, Tommy, of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Becky, are you consistently being filled with the Holy Spirit? Obviously, it's something that doesn't just happen, okay? When we're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled up with the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, um, you know, leads us to not only a more fulfilling life in Christ, but a far more effective life in Christ. So I've been praying and I've been praying, you know, consistently since studying this um, for the last several days. Um, Father, just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill us today in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, fill us today by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us today in the name of Jesus. Fill us up today, Holy Spirit, with more of you. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to pray. Begin to pray, you know, uh, during the day, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. All right. Now there are ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, the main way is just ask him, right? When you wake up in the morning, fill me today, Father, with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me today with more of you. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. This is a way to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For many Christians, you have a, a lifestyle of listening to Christian music, you know, good, solid Christian music. And that's one way to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? When we praise and when we worship, you know, our Heavenly Father and then the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it helps us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we read and study the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God and and obey the word of God. It helps us to be filled with the Holy Spirit when we pray and thank the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're thankful, right, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, inter it's interesting in verse 19, again, this is one way to be filled with the Spirit, is speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. There's a uh, there's an interesting thing here. So, you know, sometimes in church we can get uh, different churches can get caught up in one particular style of music. Some some churches just like old fashioned hymns. Others like more contemporary music. Um, but verse nineteen is an interesting verse, y'all. Look at this, May. My wife, May, is, uh, you know, has been a worship leader and, and been involved in, in the worship in the church. And she is certainly one who, who speaks to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right, Matt? Right, Roland? Um, sing and make music to your heart, music in your heart to the Lord. Do, do you see there's almost like a, um, in the verse, there's a, there's a unique you know, there. You know, Paul outlines speak to one another with psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs. So it's not just one way. There's almost like a, a creativity here, right? And, and it's, there's almost like a creativity encouraged in your worship of Jesus. So it's a good thing to have, you know, different types of songs. Of course, we want to have songs that are true and doctrinally correct, right? Um, you know, we don't want to we don't want to sing heresy, of course. But but certainly, what's allowed here is a uh, is is a is like I said, a different kind of creativity or just a you know um, you know a kind of uh, of of making you know consistently creating you know, new and vibrant and Christ-glorifying Christian music, you know, with different methods and different styles, right? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, all of this helps us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's not get, let's not get bogged down and caught up with having to, to always praise and worship and sing with a certain style in a certain way, right? Again, there are people who are caught up that think we, we should all still be singing the same way they did three, 400 years ago. Now, again, that was beautiful. Some of the incredible hymns, right? Um, my wife plays them, you know, um, you know, in our home and, uh, they're just stunning, and I and I and I love them, and those are beautiful. But then at the same time, you know, there are there are different psalms, right? Certainly, the psalms. When you go through the the 150 psalms, we often sing the psalms. But then there are other spiritual songs, right? And songs that are written today that glorify Jesus, and so all of them are good. All right, as long as they're glorifying and magnifying the name of Jesus, right? Let's not nitpick pick about it. Let's encourage it. Let's let's encourage you know um, you know uh, creative and a emerging worship, right, Roland? Um, you know, and it and it helps us to be uh, you know again you know filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Um, Again, it's, it's hard to be filled with the Spirit when we're bitter and frustrated and angry. As a matter of fact, when we are bitter and frustrated and angry and unforgiving, um, uh, we're not, at, in those times, filled with the Spirit. We want to have a heart of thanksgiving. We want to consistently be, be walking in thanksgiving to our Heavenly Father for all the incredible blessings we have and continue to be given in Jesus Christ our Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was saying today in uh, in, in Bible study, incredible group of guys today, man, by the way, just the, uh, you know, the Wednesday, every other Wednesday we have a Bible study and a Wade leads us and they're just good, solid men of God in that Bible study. And I'm, I'm thankful for, for all of them and that they let me be a part of it. Um, but, you know, we were talking about how, you know, we really want to get away from just all the time saying the word God, right? God, 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 God. Certainly, you know, um, we, we, you know, we know who God is, but we, we, we have a triune God, okay? Uh, we have one God. He's one being, right? 
but he's three separate, distinct individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And you want to grow in your relationship with each of them. And so instead of saying the word God, right, which is just the generic term for his being, right? Instead of saying that, say my my heavenly Father, or say the Lord Jesus, or say Holy Spirit. And, you know, direct your your, your words to, to, to one of the persons of the Trinity, right? I mean, I am one being. God is one being. I am one being. I'm a human being. But we don't call each other human being. We are human beings, but that's not what we refer to each other as. We refer to one another by our person. I am one being, and I'm a human being, and I'm one person. A human being is what I am. My person is John, right? John Morton, Johnny. That's, you know, that's who I am, okay? God is one being, that's what he is, who he is, his person, he's so immense, is three distinct uh, individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, and and God the Holy Spirit. Notice Paul says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, let's begin, again, there's nothing sinful, nothing wrong with using the word God, but let's let's begin to grow more and more to to just address ourselves to our Father and to, and to the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit, right? They don't get jealous, okay? All right, verse 21. Now we're going to get into just a really, um, I mean, it's just a, uh, we're getting into relationships here and the husband-wife relationship. Um, and Paul's really going to talk about it with relation to the to the church. And I mean, it's just, they're, the instructions are clear. They're not ambiguous. Um, but, it, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's profound, with regard to how the the family and the husband-wife relationship is supposed to work. But before he moves into that, he actually says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Jesus. So he, before he moves into 22, which says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and we'll, and we'll get into what that means, um, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so we have, we have, we, you know, we have different places of leadership in society. We have different places of leadership in government, right? When you go to school, right, the teacher is the leader of the classroom, and the principal is is over all the teachers, right? Um, you know, we have we have we have certain leadership and governing authorities with police, um, and 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 things like that, right? Um, and in the church, we have different level, levels of leadership, right? We have pastors and we have elders and we have ministers and we have, we have teachers. But, and, and although these, these different, you know, uh, positions, these offices, right? They are leadership offices and, and we ought to have a, a, a heart of, of submitting to our leaders, right? Um, but verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, Although, although certainly, you know, there, 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 there are, you know, there are necessary places of leadership and necessary places of authority, even those of us who are, have these positions ought to have a heart of submission to one another, okay? One of the sure ways, one of the sure ways to know that you're not called or that you really do not have spiritual authority is 
is is if is if you carry yourself like you are the one that's the spiritual authority all the time. Okay, um, spiritual authority is earned. Spiritual authority is never taken. Okay, um, governing authority obviously is taken. We have to submit to the police when they pull us over, right? Whether we think we did anything wrong or not, you know. You know, when the police, you know, drive behind us, you got to pull the car over, right? If you have a boss at work, right? Um, you know, your boss at work. I mean, that's your boss, right? Spiritual authority is something we give. It's not taken. And spiritual authority is earned, okay? Just because, you know, we can go out, we can start a church, we can put up pastors, we can put up elders. Just because we do all that, that doesn't make us spiritual authority, Okay. Uh, those who are in spiritual authority in your life are those who give you their time, okay? And it's not time in a pulpit, okay? There's no spiritual authority in your life personally from the pulpit. Now, the preacher that's teaching the word of God from the pulpit, that, that scripture is always our spiritual authority, we are absolutely, totally, and completely under the authority of the Word of God and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, right? Those are our absolute authority. But when it comes to spiritual authority in Jesus Christ, spiritual authority is earned, okay? It's someone who, who, who knows who you are. It's men and women in your life who are consistently giving you their time. They're discipling you right? Um, they are, they're involved in your life. They know who you are and they, they have a clear heart to see you grow in Jesus Christ. They're consistently exhorting you and encouraging you to walk in Jesus Christ. Now, those men and women that you have that are in that place, right? Again, it's not just someone you shake hands with at church or someone you listen to a sermon, but someone who is really involved in your day-to-day -day life, they may be they may have the title of pastor they may not right but it's someone who's who's really again has a heart for you someone who who's praying for you someone who you have relationship with and have a discipleship relationship with then certainly you you want to have a an attitude of submission to you know to those people right but here in verse 21 when paul says submit to one another out of reverence for christ even those of us who are in spiritual authority, right, or even natural authority, like I said, like the teacher or the policeman or your boss at work, we ought to have an attitude of mutual submission to the gifts and talents of one another, okay? Um, so example, in verse 22, it's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, okay? So overall, the wife, you know, ought to have a heart to have a submissive attitude you know, uh, to the leadership of her husband, okay? Now, it's not that the husband is just dominating her. This does not mean that in any way, if the husband in any way is exhorting the wife to sinful behavior, okay, unbiblical behavior, in no way is she called to submit to that, okay? When it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, it's not saying that the husband has the same authority as Jesus. He doesn't. Certainly, I don't. No husband does, okay? Um, Jesus Christ is an absolute authority over everyone in the world, okay? Over all of us, not only in the church, but, but outside the church, okay? 
Every one of us is called to submit to Jesus Christ utterly and completely with total devotion and worship. This is not what this is saying, okay? It's not saying that wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, which is to say as if your husband is Jesus, okay? It's not saying that, okay? Um, and if you're a wife, you know, you know, you ought not have the attitude of saying, well, just how much do I actually need to submit to my husband? It goes back to verse 21, okay? This is very powerful. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So a wife, you want to submit to your husband really out of reverence for Jesus because this is how Jesus has ordained it. This is how Jesus has set it up. Jesus has set up the husband to be the leader of the family. And so you just don't submit to him when you think he's right. You just don't. You submit to him because you have a heart for Jesus. You have a, you submit to your husband because you have a heart to please Jesus, right? You, 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 want, you want Jesus to be pleased. You want Jesus to be magnified. And you love Jesus so much since Jesus says, wife, wives, submit to your husbands. Out of that heart and devotion to Jesus, you submit to your husband. Does that make sense? And so with that heart, it certainly will make it far more easy for any wife to ultimately submit to her husband, whether he's an incredibly godly husband or whether he's kind of a cantankerous, unreasonable husband, right? You still want to have a heart of submitting to your husband's leadership out of reverence for Christ, okay? Now, that same attitude, all of us as Christians, those who are in leadership and those who are not, we ought to have that attitude of mutual submission to one another, particularly in the gifts and talents that the Lord has given us, right? I, uh, I have a brother, Jesse. He's one of the elders of Kingdom D, and he's a very handy man. And the water heater went out last November. Um, and I was looking for, uh, you know, just uh, some plumbers. And he said, well, you know, I can do it. And I was like, amazing. You can put in a water heater. And, um, you know, throughout the entire process, I simply submitted it to him. Now, I'm his pastor and, and he consistently has an attitude of, of, of submission and, 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 you know, and, and wants me to, to be a, the spiritual leader in his life and to lead him. Um, and again, he's a sound man of God in his own right, as are all the guys at, uh, at Kingdom D and the ladies, and I'm blessed to have them. But in that process, that entire two-day process that, you know, on and off of with the water heater, um, you know, I was submitting to his leadership because he knows what he's doing, right? And so basically he would say, man, I, I need you to do this. I need you to go to Home Depot and get this. You know, we need to take this. We need to do this. And I just had an attitude of submission. So we ought to submit to one another in the body of Christ. Just because you're a pastor or elder at a church doesn't mean that there are not men and women that have giftings and understandings in other places, you know, um, you know, in the body of Christ that we ought to submit to, right? Let's say you're a pastor or elder and you have a, a member of your congregation that you're in relationship with that you know is very good in understanding finances and how to steward finances and how to make finances and how to glorify the Lord with money. Well, then you ought to take on an attitude of submission and be teachable in that, right? So again, um, uh, I, I don't cook, right? Um, and so when my daughter, who, who certainly, you know, honors me as her father, my daughters, Kristen and Lauren and my son-in-law, Nathan, when they come over, you know, I just, you know, you know, you know, let's set the table. Let's do this. They generally won't ask me to do anything, but I'm certainly not going to tell them what to do. Right. 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we love Jesus, we ought not always just demand our own way as well and just want what we want, right? We ought to we ought to have a concern for other people's preference and, and submit to that at times. Now, again, out of this overarching command of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's times that I ought to, I ought to submit to my wife. Now, again, that's not the order. It's, it's very important to understand Jesus has an order. Wives, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Okay, so this is the order of how Jesus has set it up in the family, okay? Um, that positionally, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior. Um, and so there ought to be that, that understanding, that foundation in, in every household, right? And again, the wife does this and she puts herself under her husband's headship uh, out of reverence for Jesus, right? Out of her desire to please Jesus, because this is how Jesus set it up. And she wants to be obedient to Jesus, who is of course her, you know, her spiritual husband, right? Um, we are all part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, right? Jesus is all of our husband, and we ought to do things out of reverence for him, right? But this aspect of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, you know, I'm, I'm consistently looking to submit to my wife. Like when she'll say, you know, she'll get on me sometimes about, you know, the trash has been there for, you know, for this long and, you know, the recyclables, you know, need to be taken out. Um, there's not a whole lot that, that, that she asks. Um, you know, I have to submit to her about, I don't have to, but I choose to submit to her about drinking these ridiculous, you know, just, uh, these health drinks that she makes with, with I mean, she, this lady will just put, put like all of these vegetables like kale and I don't even know what she puts in there, but you know, kale is like just a bag of leaves or something, y'all. And I mean, she'll just grind it all up and it just tastes so bad, Right. Kale, spinach, and let's just grind that all up. She didn't put no sugar or nothing in there or nothing that tastes good. But I'll submit, I'll, you know, out of reverence for Christ and I'll drink it because it's, you know, because she has greater expertise in understanding all these things. And, and, and in the end, it's for my benefit. Obviously, she's doing this and making me choke this stuff down because it's good for my health, Right. All of this is good for us and will bless us. Now, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And what we talked about, again, is that's an attitude that says, it doesn't say your husband is Jesus, okay? It's simply saying out of reverence for Jesus, out of a desire to please Jesus, right? Out of a desire to just, you know, to place yourself in the place that Jesus would, would have you to be, right? And obviously, as this is a... This is this is this is only difficult when 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 your husband is being unreasonable, right? It's not hard generally for a wife to to have an attitude of submission to her husband when she's getting everything she wants. So it's important that 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 you have this attitude as a wife, even when you have a husband that's that's being unreasonable. Now, listen. Um, uh, again, if if the husband is asking the wife to do anything sinful, 
then no. Obviously, the wife, you know, you go back to your prime authority, Jesus Christ. But now, again, you don't want to nitpick it. You see what I'm saying? Um, you want to, again, you want to have a heart to, to, to be agreeable, okay, to your husband. Um, but if he's asking you to do something that's contrary to the Bible, that's sinful. A wife's not called to submit to that, okay? A wife's not called to, to take a beating, right? A physical beating, right? That That's not of the Lord. Um you know, and again, there there may be times where you you certainly have a uh, your husband is not speaking to you nicely. He's not speaking to you in a godly way. But you know, there are things that the Lord expects you to endure. But you, you do it out of reverence for Him. And don't worry, we're going to get to the husband's responsibilities, which are even bigger here, right? Now, as the church submits to Christ, which by the way, the church doesn't do a very good job of. I don't feel like I do a very good job of. So also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And obviously most wives would say they don't think they do a, an extremely good job. I think my wife does a pretty good job, but you know, certainly I'm not submitting to Christ as a member of his church as I ought to. And my wife would say she has room to grow in, in how she submits. Although again, I, I have no complaints. Um, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And again, we spoke about what that heart attitude should be. All of it ought to be out of reverence for Christ. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. <clears throat> All right. So lest the husband think that he's just getting off the church or getting off the hook here, getting off the church, he's getting off the hook or as if he has it easy. Okay. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When I was preparing to teach this and I was studying on it and teaching it in Bible study, I could not confess, and I, and I ask you to forgive me, May, that this is something that I'm, that I just, I, I, you know, I was kind of just taken back about that I. There are so many ways that I fall short of loving my wife just as Christ loved the church. I'm so far behind. When I see, when I step back, when I look at the scriptures, when I read the gospels, when I see the sacrifice that Jesus has made for me even though I am uh, a desperate, hopeless, ridiculous, sinful man, right? And yet the love that he has shown me, the fact that he laid down his life for me as a desperate, hopeless, worthless sinner headed to hell, I do not have a lifestyle of loving my wife like this, okay? For a husband to love his wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her is to love your wife even when she's not submitting, right? To love your wife even when she is cantankerous. To love your wife even when she is being rebellious. Now, again, this is no license for the wife. The wife's already been told that she's not to behave this way. A wife should have an attitude of submission to her husband, you know, out of out of reverence for Christ, because this is how Jesus set it up, even when the husband's unreasonable. But here now, we have husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And again, we were not a beautiful people. We were a sinful 
just cantankerous, worthless people. Jesus didn't die for just like, like an amazing, lovely, beautiful, thoughtful, kind, good, faithful people. He died for a sinful people. We're all sinners and we need a savior. And he loved us in that condition and he gave himself up for us. Again, it's a lot easier to love your wife when she's, when, when she's acting beautifully and when she's acting as Christ would have her to act. And that's what Jesus expects of her. But how about when she's not acting when Jesus, not acting in a way Jesus would have her to? How about when your wife is acting sinfully or when she's acting selfishly? Are you able to love her as Christ loved the church? Do you give yourself up for her even when she's just being unreasonable? God, I mean, the, the nature of the command is near impossible. No, no, I don't do this very well, Lord, and I'm sorry. It's, it's a high command, guys, right? It's one, Nathan, that, uh, you know, we just really got to work on. Stephen, man, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But now look at 26. To make what's the reason for it? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. You know, normally we just stop there at verse 26 and we don't go any further. So husbands. As you're loving your wife as Christ loved the church, as you are giving yourself up for her, right? The point of all this is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, okay? So the primary responsibility of the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church is, is to give himself up for her in all the ways we just talked to talked about and being selfless, selfless even when she's selfish, but ultimately, a husband's job is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. A husband's job, a husband ought to be consistently making sure, and he ought to be the leader in making sure his wife is, is more and more being sanctified and washed and cleansed in the water of the word of God. If you're a husband today, you're, you're called to be the spiritual leader of your household, right? So do you have a lifestyle husband of making sure your wife is consistently being washed in the water of the word of God? Do you consistently have your wife you know, listening to good, sound Bible teaching. Do you have your wife? Obviously, you ought to have your wife, you know, you know, in church, listening again to good, sound Bible teaching where she's being washed in the water of the word of God. But that's church ought to be dessert. Every day, a husband ought to be concerned about his wife being washed in the water of the word of God, that she's she's more and more being without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish. A husband's concern ought to be to see his wife more and more holy and blameless and like Christ. He ought to want to see her a more spotless bride and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. Um. 
if you're married today, husband, okay, obviously I'm speaking to myself, um, your bride is on loan to you from Jesus. Benny Payton's about to be on loan to you from Jesus. You're not married in heaven, okay? Marriage is a temporary, biblical marriage of man and wife is a temporary earthly institution, right? Set up for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the gospel of God. And obviously children come out of that um, and, you know, camaraderie and sexual fulfillment and all those other things, right? Um, but it, it's, it, it, it will not extend past this life. We are married to Jesus. As believers, we are married to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, a biblical marriage between man and wife is a picture of our spiritual union, our spiritual oneness, our spiritual marriage to Jesus Christ as individual believers and as a church, right? We are one with Jesus in spirit, just like husband and wife are, are one in the flesh. And we're going to talk about that here. Um, but, you know, for however long you're married and it's till death do you part, when when you hand your wife back to Jesus, so to speak, she's always married to Jesus, but she's on loan to you for now. When you hand her back, Benny, Jesus expects her back in better condition than when he gave her to you on your wedding day. Okay. And how do you do that? By making sure that she's being washed in the water of the word of God, that she's a more radiant bride, that she has, she's without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but she's increasingly more holy and blameless because you're, consi you're consistently making sure she's in front of the word of God. Now, it's not that every husband is a Bible teacher, but you're consistently coming alongside your wife saying, hey, I'm, I'm listening to this teaching. I like this kind of, this Bible teaching. We need to spend time in our Bible together. We're going to read our Bible together. We're going to study our Bible together. We're going to get good sound Bible teaching and not just Sunday at church. Bam. Okay. This really is what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church, okay? Certainly you're to give yourself up for her, but but your responsibility is to make her holy by the washing with water with the word. Now, obviously in Christ, you know, positionally, it's only Christ that makes us holy, but in the sanctification process, as we grow to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it's a husband's job to, to help his wife become like this, and that comes by making sure she's in the word of God, exposed to the word of God, encouraging in the word of God, set an example for, the, for her in the word of God. Bam. Hopefully that makes sense. Verse 28. And this was interesting. And to present her to himself, 27, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives. Okay. So again, just as, you know, as Christ, right, um, cleansed us by his sacrifice for us, right? And, 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 and we were washed in the water of the word of God of the gospel. In this same way, husbands, again, want to consistently make sure, verse 28, that their wives are, are washed in the word of, uh, water of the word of God, right? In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The scripture says that when you get married, okay, you're no longer two, but one, right? Look at verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
Um, and it's saying here that's Genesis 2.24, right? That's the scripture reference from Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You are actually one with your wife. You're one flesh with your wife. Look at 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. You see it here, Ian? Right? Do you, uh, you see it here, Uncle Dennis? Right? Uncle Dennis is this incredible, incredible husband. Maybe the finest husband I've ever known. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it says that you're, you're one flesh with your wife. You're not just yourself anymore. You're one flesh. So as you care for your own body, as you feed it and care for it and take a shower and we like our bodies to be comfortable, we don't want our bodies to be in pain, right? We like ease, don't we? In the same way that you manage your body, right? In the same way that you manage you know, that you like to be rested, boy. We like a good night's rest. I like eating that food I like. Man, I just like my body to be comfortable, okay? I really do. And that ought to be the same heart we have for our wife. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself because your wife is a part of your body. You're one with her. You're not one flesh, but two. So you're actually joined together. You know, when you come together in sexual intimacy, you become one flesh. And, and, and we ought to have attitudes as husbands that we actually love our wife and care for our wife the way we love and care for our own physical body, right? Thinking about her and, and, and her comfort and her enjoyment and, and her food, right? And her ease. Wow. I got a long way to go on this. I mean, I do. I do care more. You know, when I when I when I when I examine my lifestyle, I confess that I, you know, I don't I don't love my wife as I should, as I do my own body, the way I feed it and care for it, and want to make sure it's comfortable, right? Um, and you know, she actually does a better job doing that for me than I do for her. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, May. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Verse twenty nine. Just as Christ does the church. So again, do you see we do all this out of reverence for Christ? Just as Christ takes care of us and looks out for us and, and purified us and provided for us and took care of us and looks out for us, that ought to be our attitude toward our wives. I told you, husbands, you ain't getting off the hook. I'm certainly not. Golly. For we are members of his body. Y'all, we're, we're called the body of Christ and he takes care of his body in the same way. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Because you and your wife are one flesh, you ought to care for your wife and her needs and her comfort, right? The way you do your own body, which is looking at how Christ takes care of the church. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Wow. This is a profound mystery, verse 32, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So again, what Paul is saying, when you look at Jesus, when you look at how Jesus 
gave his life for the church, laid his life down for the church, how he washed the church, right, in his blood, by his own sacrifice, by his own death, he gave himself up for her, right? And then through the gospel of the word of God, we're, we're washed and made clean for sin. A husband has this same attitude and, and has this desire to care for his wife because he's one with her in body, the way Jesus is one with us in spirit. And he looks to Jesus and is always seeing how how Jesus is taking care of the church and what he's done. And he's making sure that his wife is, is consistently being fed and taught in the word of God. Golly, hopefully I at least do that part of it well. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The whole point is marriage is just supposed to be an extension of how Jesus loves the church. Again, one of the mistakes we've made in church is we think the kingdom of God is about, is about church or our marriage. It's not, Okay. Uh, the reason we're married is for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the and the Son of God and the gospel of God. Um, it, it, Jesus is not here to serve our marriage, okay? The kingdom of God isn't here to serve our marriage. Our marriage exists for service to the kingdom of God and the Son of God and the gospel of God, okay? But this is how we're supposed to operate in it. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's all about Jesus. Let's look to Jesus' husbands. And this is how we're to love our wives. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. That's verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. You notice that you do love yourself. Okay, You may not like yourself, but every person in the world loves themselves, Esther. Okay, Again, you may not like yourself. But we all love ourselves, and again, we can tell that we love ourselves by how much time we spend thinking about us. Every one of us is consistently caught up in thinking about our own lives, right? From the time we wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about me and my life and my shower and my day and my ministry and my comforts and my work and when I'm going to be able to take my breaks and when, when I'm just going to be able to like, whew, get done and get everything bow-tied um, that I have to get done for the day so I can relax, right? We do love ourselves. Again, we consistently think, Matthew, about ourselves and our own life and our wife and our kids and my fun and my hobbies and my money and my bank account and my problems and my difficulties. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. As you consider yourself all day, right? Consider your wife like that. And you remember the great commandment from Jesus, love your neighbor as you love yourself, your neighbors, whoever is near you or nigh to you, your wife is your, your closest neighbor, right? However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. All that time you spend thinking about you, start, start thinking about your wife like that. And the wife must respect her husband. Verse 33, the wife must respect her husband. You notice there's no caveat to it, wives. You don't get to decide whether your husband is, you know, respectable or not, okay? A wife out of reverence for Christ is to show respect to her husband, even when her husband is not acting in a respectable way, okay? And the wife must respect her husband. Obviously, it's easy. It wouldn't have to be written for you to respect your husband when he's acting in a way you like. The implication is here is that a biblical wife is to respect her husband whether she's in agreement with him or not, okay? You ought to have an attitude of respect towards your husband at all times. 
And obviously there ought to be a, a repentant heart on both of us. No marriage does this like Christ, right? He is our example. And as husbands and wives, we need to consistently have a repentant heart and always trying to do better in these things. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace. Father, I ask you to forgive me where I have fallen short of this out of reverence for you, Jesus. Forgive me where I have just, just, I feel like I'm so far, Lord, from this standard. And I do ask you to forgive me. I ask you to help us one and all, Father, as husbands, to consistently make sure our wives are washed in the water of the word of God and that we can, can, we can somehow begin to more and more love them and show them the kind of love, you know, Lord, is even you have loved us in the church, Lord, and that, um, that, you know, Lord, we're able to be husbands that, uh, that really are, do look to, to love our wives in a Christ-centered and a Christ-like way. Father, I do ask you to help wives to, to, to be respectful to their husbands and to, and to have a heart of submission just because, Lord Jesus, this is how you set it up and they do reverence you and want to please you, Jesus. Mm. Father, I ask you to help us not be foolish, but to understand what your will is and help us not to get drunk, Lord, and to just look for all our Look for pleasure from worldly things or worldly alcohol. Help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today, Father, I pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill us now with more of you. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.